0: This morning's scripture will be from Philippians chapter three, verses twenty through twenty-one. But well, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. You may be seated. Sometimes, in life, there are some things that need to be reconsidered. Perspective, purpose, lifestyles, decisions, mindsets. Oftentimes, as we go throughout our lives, we need to take the time to evaluate ourselves and to reconsider some things. I don't know if you've ever experienced this before. If you were like me, then you probably have. I remember times whenever I was a little kid, and I was just about to do something wrong. I was just about to do something that I knew would make my parents mad. I knew that I was going to get in trouble for it, but I was going to do it anyway. And just as I was reaching out to do it, I could just feel that something was off. Something wasn't right. And so I took just a minute to look around, And there were both of my parents standing behind me giving me that kind of look. Have you ever gotten that look before? Have you ever given that look before? Whenever you receive that kind of look from your parents, what does that mean? It means you better think again, buddy. It means you better reconsider that choice you're about to make. You better reconsider what you're about to do because you know that's not the right choice. Sometimes in life, there are things that need to be reconsidered. This morning, I want us to reconsider a topic that I believe to be very important. It's a topic that's always been important, but it's perhaps even more significant in the kind of world, society, and culture that we live in. It's important to talk about, I think, this time of year. I realize that this is a a really big topic, and it has a lot of different feelings emotions, and ideas attached to it. But as always, let's allow Scripture to meet us where we are. As always, let's allow Scripture to drive a conversation that I believe the church in America needs to have. This morning, we're going to be reconsidering the topic of Christian nationalism. But before we get too far into that topic, I think we need to define our terms. We need to make sure that we're all on the same page here. What is Christian nationalism? What do we mean whenever we use that term? Before we talk about what Christian nationalism is, let's begin by talking about what Christian nationalism is not. Number one, Christian nationalism is not patriotism. If you go to dictionary.com, it defines the word patriotism as devoted love, support, and defense of one's country, national loyalty. If you're a patriotic person, that means you're going to be loyal to your country. You're going to love your country. You're going to support your country. You're going to do what is in the best interest for the country that you live in. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with being a patriotic person. In fact, I think that can be a very good thing. When you go to Esther chapter 10 and verse number 3, I think we find a good biblical example of what patriotism looks like. We don't have time to rehearse the whole story in the book of Esther. This is the very last verse in the book. But through God's providence... Mordecai, as a Jew, becomes second in command in the Medo-Persian Empire. And you notice what the Bible says about him. It says that he sought the welfare of his people, and he spoke peace to all his people. That's what patriotism looks like. That's what patriotism does, and and there's nothing wrong with it. Mordecai, as the second in command in the Medo-Persian Empire, he loved his country, he supported his country, and he did all that he could to uphold the country that he was a part of. We don't need to confuse these two terms. Christian nationalism is not patriotism, and patriotism is not Christian nationalism. Number two, Christian nationalism is not promoting righteousness. Scripture is very clear about what we are to promote in our daily lives as followers of Jesus. Proverbs, the 14th chapter, in verse number 34, says that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Notice the universal application of that. We're not just talking about one nation in particular. We're not just talking about the nation of Israel in Proverbs chapter 14. We're saying that righteousness exalts any nation. Sin is a reproach to any people. If we want our nation to be exalted, if we want our nation to be the best that it can possibly be, then we need to promote righteousness righteousness. We need to promote what is right according to God's will. Christian nationalism is not promoting righteousness, neither is it, number three, honoring, submitting to, and praying for our government authorities. Because as Christians, we are commanded to do all three of those things. Romans chapter 13 and verse number one, Paul says, let every person, there's no exceptions there, This is not just some people. This is not just most people. He says, let every person be subject, be submissive to the governing authorities. I might not agree with the governing authorities. I might not like the governing authorities. But Scripture tells me as a Christian, it's my responsibility to be subject to them, to be submissive to them. 1 Peter 2 and verse 17 says, Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood, the family of God fear God, have a reverence and a respect for Him, and then, just like you honor everyone, honor the emperor. Honor the king. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Paul tells Timothy, first of all, what's that tell you about the importance of this message? This is something that Paul tells Timothy, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. But then he gets a little bit more specific, for kings and for all who are in high positions. Who are we supposed to pray for? Who are we supposed to offer not only petition, but thanksgiving to God for? For kings and for all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, Godly and dignified in every way. What is Christian nationalism? Let's start with what it's not. It's not patriotism. It's not promoting righteousness. It's not honoring, submitting to, and praying for our government authorities. Well, if it's not any of those things, then what is it? What definition could we give to this term? Well, we take a few steps back for just a minute, and we think a little bit more broadly The term nationalism is defined by dictionary.com as the policy or doctrine of asserting the interest of one's own nation viewed as separate from the interest of other nations or the common interest of all nations. Basically, nationalism is what happens when patriotism becomes excessive, number one, or when patriotism becomes aggressive, number two. So under that broad umbrella term of nationalism, we find the term Christian nationalism. What is that? I want to show you a few quotes from guys who are a lot smarter than I am and who can articulate this a lot better than I can. I don't agree with everything this individual says or believes, but Dr. David W. Scott, who's associated with the United Methodist Church, says that Christian nationalism identifies the nation with God's will and action in the world It conflates national and Christian identity, and it identifies service of the nation with service of God. Can you see the definition? Can you see the problem? Can you see this is something why we might need to reconsider? How does God act in the world? How is God's will carried out in the world? A Christian nationalist would say it's through a specific nation. A Christian nationalist takes Christian identity, which is found in Christ, and national identity, which is found in nation, and it conflates the two. It lays them alongside of one another. It views one as being just as important as another. It identifies service of the nation with service of God. So if I want to serve God, what do I do? I serve the nation. And as I serve the nation, I'm serving God. The two go hand in hand with one another 100% of the time. Wes McAdams, who is maybe you've heard his name before, he's a popular podcaster, blogger, and preacher in the Lord's Church. Here's what he has to say. He says nationalism, the broad term, becomes more specific Christian nationalism when a person believes his nation is so inherently and distinctly Christian that defending the the nation's culture and defending the Christian faith are practically one and the same. We could look at a lot more definitions from, once again, individuals who are a lot smarter than I am about how to define this term. But I think if we were to boil it down to what it is in just one sentence, we would say that Christian nationalism is the result of an idolatrous patriotism. Now remember what we said about patriotism just a minute ago. There's nothing wrong with being a patriotic person. There's nothing inherently sinful with loving your nation, supporting your nation, being loyal to your nation. But what happens when your nation becomes your idol? What happens when this physical kingdom is elevated in our minds, lives, and hearts to the level of God's spiritual kingdom? What happens when American citizenship is just as important to me as being a citizen of God's kingdom? Well, that's when the problems come, and that's when we have some things that we need to reconsider. I like the definition that preachers oftentimes give to the word idolatry. An idol is when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing. And that's true with anything in our lives. When a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, it becomes our idol, and it sits on the seat that should be reserved for God in our lives and in our hearts. Patriotism is a good thing, but when it becomes an ultimate thing, it becomes our idol, and Christian nationalism is always going to be the result. What is it? If we were to just define it in one sentence, Christian nationalism is the result of a patriotism that is set on the same level as God. Now, we could continue to give definitions for this term, but for me, sometimes it's easier to illustrate it, and that that helps us to understand it just a little bit better. Former Vice President Mike Pence made a speech at the 2020 Republican National Convention. Now, disclaimer, I'm not saying anything about him as a person. I'm not saying anything about his politics. But I want you to notice something that he said. It illustrates this idea for us very well. This is a quote directly from him. He said, let's run the race marked out for us, Let's fix our eyes on old glory and all she represents. Let's fix our eyes on this land of heroes and let their courage inspire. Let's fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith and freedom and never forget that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And that means freedom always wins. Does any of that sound familiar to you? If you're familiar with the two texts, Mike Pence is actually pulling from two different sections of Scripture to make that quote. The first one is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and the second one is 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17. Can you see the problem with that quote? Freedom in America, in this quote, is equated with the freedom that we find in Christ. And that's an issue. Actually, in this quote, Mike Pence takes out the name Jesus and inserts the term Old Glory. Did you catch that? If you go to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, what does the Bible say? The Bible says that we are to lay aside every weight which clings so closely and we are to run with endurance the race that's set before us. How do we do it? Looking to what? Jesus. The author and perfecter "...of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God." Notice in this quote, we're not fixing our eyes on Jesus. We're fixing our eyes on old glory and all that she represents. Faith in Christ is viewed as just as important and it's laid right beside of freedom that we experience as Americans. He says that the author and perfecter of our faith and freedom... That's a problem. We need to reconsider some things. And we might think, you know, that's a politician. right? That's what you would expect from somebody like that. But have you ever been driving down the road and saw a bumper sticker that looked like this? Have you ever been scrolling on social media and saw this kind of graphic? Where you have an American flag and then a pistol on top and in the middle is lying God's holy word? What God has breathed out in the pages of Scripture, Well yeah, let's just lay the Bible right alongside of, of guns and country. God, guns and country, those three go well together, don't they? Do you think that Jesus would embrace that graphic? You think Jesus would post that on his Facebook wall? Do you think that Jesus would have that as a bumper sticker on his car? God, guns, and country, laying the three right alongside of one another. Have you ever been in a worship service where you're singing praise to an infinitely holy and all-powerful God? And then the very next song is something like America the Beautiful. We're singing and praising and worshiping our Creator. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then the very next song is what? America, America, America. A song that praises God is laid right next to a song that praises America and we sing a song that praises America in our worship to God. There are some things that we need to reconsider there, but what exactly is it? What is it that needs to be reconsidered? Let's put our fingers on it. Now that we've defined the term and hopefully we're all on the same page, I, I hope that you can see the problem with this topic. What exactly needs to be reconsidered? I want to suggest to you this morning that Christian nationalism, that kind of worldview, misunderstands two things that are so important for us as followers of Jesus. Number one, Christian nationalism misunderstands our identity. It misunderstands who we are supposed to be as followers of Jesus. If you were to look at this through the lens of of a Christian nationalist. They view their citizenship in America as being just as important as their citizenship in God's kingdom. My identity, who I am, is tied just as much to this physical nation as it is tied to Jesus. My identity is tied to this physical kingdom or a particular political party just as much as it is tied to being a part of God's spiritual kingdom, the church, and upholding traditional American values becomes just as important, if not more important, than upholding what God has revealed to us in the pages of His inspired Word. What is our identity? Who are we as Christians? Well, when we take a look at Scripture, we find that our identity is found only in Christ. Our identity is found only in being a part of His spiritual kingdom. The reason I underline that, I, that word only is because it's so very important. We're not saying that our identity is found in Jesus, but it's also found in something else. That my identity is found in being a part of God's physical kingdom, but it's also found in rather God's spiritual kingdom, and it's also found in being a part of this physical kingdom. When we use the word only, we're being exclusive. Who are we? Our identity is found only in Jesus and being members of the church that belongs to Him. The church that He purchased with His own blood. There are so many different verses that teach us that. First Peter 2 and verse 9, Peter says, but you are. What's he talking about? He's talking about identity. He's talking about who we are. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Those four descriptors there aren't talking about America. They're talking about the Lord's church. They're talking about God's spiritual kingdom. We, as members of the Lord's body, we are His chosen race. We are His royal priesthood. We make up a holy nation that knows no boundaries, a people for God's own possession, a people who belong to Him. We're a part of a holy and chosen nation in Revelation 5 and verse 9 that unites every tribe every language, every people, and every nation. Hear me very clearly when I say, America is not God's chosen nation. America is not God's holy nation. When we go back to the Old Testament, that Israel was God's chosen nation. They were meant to reflect God's glory and grace to all of the other nations around them. And it might be so tempting to view America in the very same light. It's not the case when you read the New Testament. America is not God's chosen or holy nation. The church is. Is God's chosen and holy nation that unites every single nation on the face of the earth. A nation and a people that knows no boundaries. Long before we're a part of any physical kingdom, we're a part of God's spiritual kingdom. You remember John chapter 18 and verse 36, what Jesus says to Pilate? He answered him, my kingdom is what? It's not of this world. He says, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. First and foremost, as a number one priority, we are not a part of a physical kingdom First and foremost is the number one priority. We are a part of Jesus' spiritual kingdom. His kingdom is not of this world. And then as we read in our Scripture reading, far before we find our citizenship in any physical kingdom, We find our citizenship in heaven. Paul says, but our citizenship, who's he talking to? He's talking to the Christians who were located at Philippi. Philippi was a Roman colony. These people would have had the rights and the responsibilities of Roman citizenship. And so when Paul writes to them and he uses the term citizenship, he doesn't say your citizenship is found in Rome. You're some of the lucky ones. You have Roman citizenship and that should mean more to you than anything else. No, he says as Christians, our perspective is different. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Christian nationalism needs to be reconsidered because it misunderstands our identity. It misunderstands who we are. Who are we as Christians? Our identity, first and foremost, is not tied to any physical kingdom. It's tied to Jesus' spiritual kingdom. It's not tied to a political party. It's tied to the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, our identity is not found in upholding traditional American values. Our identity, who we are, is found in upholding what God has delivered to us in the pages of this holy book. But then I would suggest that Christian nationalism not only misunderstands our identity, it also misunderstands our purpose, which just makes sense, doesn't it? If you don't understand number one, you're not going to get number two. If you don't realize who you are, you're not going to realize what you're supposed to be doing. If you don't grasp your identity, then you're not going to grasp your purpose. Once again, look at the idea of purpose through the lens of a Christian nationalist. The purpose of a Christian nationalist is to make this nation a more Christian nation. And they do that through the voting booth making sure that certain government officials are elected, making sure that certain policies come into place, or making sure that certain policies are changed. And and that's their purpose. That's why they are here as Christians. That's why they live their lives daily for Jesus. I want to make this nation more Christian. We're not going to have time to walk through this entirely, but if you have time later today or later this week, spend some time in 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, and especially focus in on verses 9 through 13 and listen to what Paul has to say about our purpose as followers of Jesus. If we were to summarize it, what Paul says in this section is that our purpose is not found in policing the world, our purpose is not found in forcing a standard on people that they don't except for themselves. More specifically, in this conversation from 1 Corinthians 5, our purpose is not necessarily to change government. Our purpose as Christians is not to make sure that certain officials are elected or that certain policies are changed. Well, if that's not our purpose, then what is? I believe when you look at the pages of the New Testament, you very clearly find that our purpose is to help individuals. Look at the scope of that. We're not saying, I want to change the nation and I want to make this a more Christian nation. What we're saying is that I want to help individuals. You know, those people who you're around every day, those people who you see, those people who you talk to on a weekly basis, our purpose is to help individuals in our lives to first experience Jesus, And then to subsequently be changed, be transformed by Jesus. And there are a lot of different verses that we could go to to suggest that idea. I think that the most powerful one is a very short statement in Luke chapter 19 and verse number 10. Jesus talks about His purpose. The Son of Man came, why? To seek and to save the lost. Do you think there were some things in the Roman government that Jesus didn't agree with? Do you think there were some things that he might have wanted to change? Certain politicians that he would have wanted to elect, policies that he would have wanted to enact at the government level? There's no doubt about it. But that's not the reason that Jesus came. That wasn't Jesus' purpose. Jesus didn't come to change government. He didn't come to elect certain politicians. Jesus did not come to earth with the purpose of changing certain governmental policies. Jesus came to earth to seek and to save people who are lost. He came to earth to help individuals, individuals who are around Him on a daily basis, to first experience Him and then to be changed, transformed by His love and His power and His grace. That was Jesus' purpose. And so now I have to look in a mirror, and you have to look in a mirror, what's our purpose? What's your purpose? What's my purpose? Would you reflect with me for just a minute? Do you spend more time on a weekly basis thinking about politics? Or do you spend more time thinking about souls that are lost? Let's limit it to the last week. Something that's on our hearts and minds this morning. Think about the rule from the Supreme Court and how Roe v. Wade was overturned. Have you spent more time in the last few days thinking about that and talking about that? Or have you spent more time in the last few days thinking about people in your life who are going to spend an eternity in hell unless you step up and say something to them? What's our purpose? Why are we here? Do you spend more time reading news articles? Or do you spend more time reading Scripture? If somebody were to read your Facebook wall, your Twitter feed, would they walk away knowing your political affiliation? Would they walk away knowing that you're a Republican or a Democrat? Would they walk away knowing what you agree and disagree with politically? Or would they walk away knowing that you love Jesus? And be encouraged to say, I want to know Him like that too. Christian nationalism is something that needs to be reconsidered because it misunderstands us. It misunderstands our identity and it misunderstands our purpose. We're not here to change government. We're here to help individuals to see Jesus. To experience Jesus. To be changed by the Lord Jesus. His purpose was to seek and to save the lost. And it's our responsibility to share in that purpose as we live our lives on a daily basis. If you were to have to make a choice... Between red, white, and blue. And the red that flowed down the side of Jesus' cross. What would you pick? What would your choice be? Without any hesitation whatsoever. A follower of Jesus is going to say. My Lord is more important to me than my nation." Because if we're talking about identity, if we're talking about purpose, if we're talking about who we are or what we're supposed to be doing, it all goes back to Jesus. Our identity is found in Jesus. Our purpose is found in helping people to experience. I've experienced Jesus. I've been changed by Jesus. Now I want other people to experience that transformation too. Not only here, but also into all of an eternity. It's something that needs to be reconsidered because it's dangerous. Christian nationalism is a danger to the Lord's church, perhaps one of the greatest dangers because we don't talk about it. We don't recognize it. We don't confront it for what it is. And so now it comes down to us. Where's your identity? Is your identity found in Christ? What's your purpose? Is your purpose to seek and to save the lost? Are you sharing in the very purpose of Jesus? Or have you gotten sidetracked? I realize I've said some things that maybe you're hearing for the first time. Maybe you've never explored this topic before. If you have questions, if you have concerns, shoot me a text. Call me. Let's sit down and talk about it this week. Let's study it together Patriotism is a great thing. It's great to love your nation, but don't let your nation become your idol. Allow Jesus to sit in that top spot, and if you need to make that commitment, let's do it now, as together we stand and sing.